0: All right. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to church. <laughs> For those who are uh, new, today is Friendship Sunday. Uh, this is the day when we invite uh, people that we know, friends, coworkers, family, who haven't been to church in a while, or people who may not have any church background at all. And we invite them to come and join us for service and to uh, meet and get to know our church community. So we hope that you will really do that today. And we just want to thank you. If this is your first time today, we want to thank you for coming out. We know how scary and anxious and uncomfortable it can be to visit a new church. So we want to commend you for your courage. Uh, I know that even when I visit a new church, when I visit the States or something like that, it can be a little scary, and it can also be very awkward. You know, I'm a pastor, but, you know, when I go visit another church, I'm not a pastor there. And so standing around, you know, when nobody's talking to you. <laughs> you know, you just feel like a nobody, and you just feel so awkward, and, you know, that, that's an uncomfortable feeling, and nobody wants to go through that every single week. And so uh, we want to commend you for your courage in coming out, but we pray and we hope that our leaders will not make you feel awkward for too long today. You might feel a little bit awkward here and there, but we hope that we will rescue you from that awkwardness by bringing our own awkwardness to you. Now, not not everybody everybody here has the same level of social skills, okay? We're all from different cultures. Some of us are from Canada, America, Australia. and Them Aussies, man, they're raw. You know, we got some Kiwis from New Zealand, you know? And then we got, like, people with all kinds of strange cross-cultural experiences, like Africa, like Koreans from Africa, and Indonesia, and then Chinese from Malaysia. So if you meet any of them, man, it's going to be um, socially awkward for a little while. But we pray that the love of Christ will shine through. That's the miracle of God, is when you see the love of Christ... Despite all the awkwardness that you might feel. Man, it's our prayer that you will feel loved and accepted here. And that if you would like to learn more about Christianity. Or if you would like to renew your commitment to church. That you will feel that this is a safe and accepting environment where you can do that. You're not going to feel judged here. You know, we're not, you're not, not, not going to feel condemned here. We believe that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. So yeah, our leaders have that desire. So we hope that you will feel comfortable and welcome to come not only today, but in the future weeks. Whether you make a decision to become a Christian or not, we hope that you will find it safe to keep coming out and discovering what it means to believe in Christ and to be in relationship with God. And with his people. And some of the most powerful ways in which individuals experience their relationship with God is through their relationship with God's people. Now, the the, the opposite can also be true. Sometimes people have a negative experience and view of God because they've had negative experiences with God's people. You know? But we pray that you will find none of that here. That you will find healing here. You will find things that you've experienced in the past where you've been abused or neglected, or you've had bad experiences with church, that all that will be undone and healed here at this house. My message today is called Family Matters. If you guys grew up with American TV, you remember? There used to be a sitcom with the same title. It was about a middle-class African-American family, the Winslows who were living in Chicago, Illinois. It's a TV show that ran for nine seasons from 1989 to 1997. And the show featured the immensely popular nerdy neighbor we all love to hate, Steve Urkel. He epitomized nerdiness. When they put a pocket protector on him, everybody started abandoning pocket protectors. And when he started uh, wearing his, when he wore his pants real high, you know, everyone started to wear them real low. (laughs) Anyway, um, The Family Matters. Actually, they had 215 episodes. And so this is the third longest running U.S. sitcom with a predominantly African-American cast. It's a pretty historic TV show. Anyway, I'm not here to talk about the TV show here today. I'm here to talk about Family. Talk about family. Let me ask you guys a question. How much does family matter to you? How much does family matter to you? And if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to two verses in the Bible. We're going to look at Genesis 2.24. Genesis is in the way beginning of the Bible. And then we're gonna look at Matthew nineteen five and six. So put your finger on Genesis two twenty four. And Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. Turn to Matthew nineteen, five, and six, and we'll read that together. Up here, I'm gonna read from the ESV version of the Bible, but whatever version of the Bible you have, just read along. Okay, I'm gonna read Genesis 2, 24 first. This is after God created the world and God created man and woman. He said this in Genesis 2.24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now turn to Matthew 19. Matthew nineteen five and 6. This is when the Pharisees tried to test Jesus regarding the law about divorce. And they asked him, is it lawful for, for a man to divorce his wife for any cause? Jesus gives them this answer by quoting the verse we just read in Genesis. It says in verse 5 and 6, Jesus said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together. Let not man separate. All right. Very good. So here. Here. The apostle, I mean, not the apostle, I'm sorry. Here, uh, Genesis 2:24, we find a very mysterious verse. After God creates man and woman, it says, all of a sudden, therefore, a man shall leave his mother and father. What are you talking about? What mother and father? There ain't no children yet. You know, but it says, therefore, a man will leave his mother and father and be united to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Very mysterious verse. And wherever there was questions about it, Jesus clears up the interpretation. And Jesus pretty much says here in Matthew 19, he says this mysterious verse in Genesis is talking about marriage, the institution of marriage. And therefore, what God has set in place in any marriage, let man Not separated. In other words, Jesus is articulating the heart of God. God hates divorce. And therefore, divorce needs to be an absolute last resort only in exceptional cases. Other than that, what God has joined together, let man not separate. Now, this is very connected to family. And I'm going to talk about that in a little bit. But before we talk about that, let me ask you again. How much does family matter to you? How many of you in here, you have more than two siblings? Raise your hand. Wow. Wow, that's pretty cool. All right. Yeah, you guys know, if you're a Korean native, you probably have one sibling at most, if any. The Korean birth rate is like one point. One nine or something. It's like it competes with Japan for the number one spot in the world. Americans still have about two point three children or something like that. But man, Koreans have a really low birth rate, so it's most likely in the last twenty years if you were born, twenty, twenty five years, you probably only have one sibling at most. But there's some of you in here you have a lot of siblings. If you have a lot of siblings, it may mean family means everything to you, or they annoy you so much. <laughs> You try to run away from your family. And that's why you're living in Korea. (laughs) But some of you, family is everything. Blood is thicker than water. You have a bunch of siblings. You have a multitude of cousins. You need a family tree to remember all their names. On both your mother's and father's side. You grew up playing together. Wrestling together. Bathing together. I used to bathe in my, my cousins. Anyway. I think, I think a lot of people did that, so I'm not alone. You, you had a strong family. You grew up together. You may have even gone to church together. Your family's tight. Watching your family is like watching the Italian mafia. You know, you give a finger for your family. Some of your family is very important. For others, family may not mean that much to you. Your parents may have not been there for you very much when you were growing up. Or you grew up in a divorced or broken home. And therefore, in order to guard yourself from more pain, you just numbed yourself and made family not mean that much to you in your heart. You look at other people who have these beautiful families. You, know, you look at you know, Pastor John Newfeld's family. You look at <laughs> Pastor John Michael's family we always use these two as the (laughs) as examples (laughs) but anyway you know you look at these very tight-knit families and you know you feel you know you feel a little bit uh, envious a little jealous you know man you know I wish I had family like that but I don't so you know let me just downplay the importance of family so I don't feel that pain every Thanksgiving I gotta call up John Westfall and be like hey come, come come over my house or something like that I don't know. I'm just using John Westmore as an example. <laughs> but, you know, family doesn't ma- matter that much to you because you just had a really tough family. Maybe you were even adopted and you're working out what it even means to belong to a family. I belong to this family, but I also have a biological family. What, what place do they have in my life? You know, and these are tough questions that people have who go through these types of experiences. And you yourself may be anxious about starting your own family because of fear or hopelessness from your past experiences with family. No matter what your experience has been in the past, I'm here to tell you today that family still matters. Family is important. And I'm going to talk about three ways in which family is important. And I hope this message is helpful for you. Number one. Your immediate family is important. Is important. For most or many of you in here, you have an immediate family. Uh, if you're a single kid, your only child, you may have a parent. Or they might be separated. They might be divorced. And you got to kind of go to two places in order to visit your parents. Regardless of what your situation is, your immediate family is very important. I'm talking about your biological family, the people who you share the same physical DNA with, the parents who gave you birth, nurtured you when you were a little baby, the grandparents who gave you yongtun every time you did kunjir to them. Yongtun uh, is like a little uh, allowance for bowing down <laughs> to your grandparents, but in a, it's just to show honor. Uh, Talk about your siblings who you got into fights with growing up. You know, you threw a scissor at their face. I don't know who would ever do that. Man, I'm telling you, siblings have the, the craziest stories when they get into fights, man. And there's some siblings, you know, most of the time they're calm, but they keep pushing their buttons and they just, they just turn. like They, they, they turn into a werewolf. Like they, it's like an incredible hawk turn. You know? And some of you in here, you were that sibling. And you only really have one story of that time you blew up. And after that, your, your, your brothers and sisters, kept, they just stayed out of your way. Anyway. Your, sibling, your immediate family, your blood-related family, no matter what your situation is, they are very important. You know, um, when you're a little baby, the immediate family is very important because who's going to take care of you? Who's going to change your diapers? Who's going to potty train you? You know, it ain't your older cousins going to try to potty train you who has the patience to do that. It's going to be your immediate family. Hopefully, it'll be your immediate family who does that, you know? Uh, but the cool thing is when you're young, You're dependent on your parents, and you feel like you owe them so much. But the way the institution of family works is there's always a mutual edification. Because eventually, when your parents get old, guess who's got to take care of them? Guess who's got to change their diapers? You know, they might change your diapers when you're little, but when you grow older, it's time for you to change some diapers. We're not talking about your babies either. And so that's the way the institution of family works. It's very important. You know, it's a, it's a shame. I think nursing homes, uh, they're good, especially for exceptional cases where family members simply cannot take care of their elderly uh, parents. But I think the norm should be, you know, we should take care of our own parents. Where we are able to, we should take care of our own parents. You know, I grew up in the city of Philadelphia, and I remember my maternal grandmother... She uh, eventually was admitted into a nursing home because of my uncles and my aunts just simply could not take care of her. And, and she was just tough to take care of sometimes. So they put her into a nursing home. And I remember visiting that nursing home about three, three times. And I'm telling you, man, the city of Philadelphia, man, it was like a government, government-run nursing home, public institution. Man, it was a mess. And some nursing homes are like nice. You go to Florida, you know, they got these nice ones. Hey, not in Philly, man. It was like it smelled awful. The smell of that nursing home, I can still remember to this day. You could smell it from the parking lot. It was like the odor. It was like the odor of death mixed in with all kinds of, you know, human excrement and stuff. It was terrible. And uh, I just remember um, visiting my grandma, and she was just like. First couple times we came, she would like hit my mom and just be like, you know, why'd you put me here? What kind of you know, daughter are you? And I think she did that for you know all my uncles and aunts, you know, because it was just a terrible place for her to be, especially because she didn't speak any English. You know, all the caretakers were just abusing her, neglecting her. You know, it was a terrible place. And I think family is important because wherever our parents have really taken care of us in that way when we get older and they're not able to take care of themselves you know we want to be there for them now not all grandparents need that kind of extensive care you know don't don't get all despairing now You you know people who exercise and eat right they're going to be able to continue to take care of themselves even into old age you know i hope to be one of them one of them people you know i hope when i'm 90 years old you know if my Little grandchild's over, and and he's like 20 years old, and he's like, hey, hey, grandpapa, let me help you out with him. Man, get off, man! <laughs> I mean, come here, son, come here, <laughs> little buddy. Hey, I don't need your help, all right? I don't need your help. <laughs> grandpapa take care of himself. I hope to do that, but you know that's not my choice. If if something happens, and you know, I don't know, you know, I may need their help, you know, but but. When family starts to break apart, these things are not there for us. And God has instituted it. You see, the family is an institution. We all have to face the music. Now, I know that word institution gets a bad reputation. But it simply means an official organization. Uh, It's an established practice or custom. Just think of it this way. An established custom is what an institution is. And who established the institution of marriage? I'm here to tell you today, it's God who instituted the institution of marriage. God set up the institution of the family. I'm sorry, by fact, I, I said marriage just now, but I meant to say family. God set up the institution of the family. By setting up the institution of marriage in Genesis chapter 2. In other words, the institution of the family is not man's invention. It is God's. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they will become one flesh. It does not say a man will stay with his mother and father and bring in his wife to their home and and they will extend the family bigger. No, it says you leave your mother and father. (coughs) The institution of the family is God's idea. And the family is simply an an extension of the institution of marriage. Family is an extension of marriage. I want you to get this in your head. (coughs) God has designed society in such a way that if any of you in here, you want to start a family, it all begins... With marriage, a group of three guy friends cannot just get together and say, "Hey, fellas, hey, hey, hey. I got a great idea. Hey, let's start a family. All right, hey, hey, Larry, you act, you act like the mother. John, you can be like the uncle, and I'll be like the father. All right, we three of us, you know, let's start. It don't work like that. You can't get together with your cousin." And both of you are having a hard time getting married, and so you get together. Hey, cuz, hey, cuz, hey, let's start a family. All right, forget this marriage business, all right? You can't do that. That's not how you start a family, and even people who don't believe in Christianity, they don't start families like this. Family begins with the institution of marriage, this is by God's design. And marriage is always established. By a covenant. A covenant is simply a legal commitment made between two or more agreeing parties. So in the case of marriage, it's a husband and wife. They make a legal commitment, a covenant. But not only is it between them two, but the couple makes a legal agreement with God. It's not just between them two. It's before God. And not only that, you make it in front of all your family and friends. So it's a commitment you make also to the wider community at large. So the marriage covenant is multidimensional. And it's a very important covenant because when this covenant is broken by divorce, it always has devastating effects. When Jesus talked about divorce, he said, What God has joined together, let man not separate. But people today, they fail to realize that whether you believe in the Bible or not, marriage is an institution created and ordained by God. And it cannot be entered into with a cavalier attitude. Oh, I love her. I love her. I love her. I want to marry her. Oh, you look good and fun and sexy. Let me just marry you. You know, what's that song like, you know? I want to marry you. You know, that song. <laughs> but that. Bruno Mars song, yeah. I think I want to marry you. Yeah, if you are a girl, if a guy says, I think I want to marry you, you'd be like, psh, no. You better know you want to marry me if you want to marry me. That's like an opinion that you have that you're going to waver between. Well, we ain't going to do this. You better have gone through a process (laughs) in which you are convicted and convinced that you want to marry me. You don't want to enter the covenant of marriage in a cavalier or careless attitude. And you don't want to also break the covenant of marriage with a very selfish and cavalier, careless attitude. Why does God value marriage so much? And hate divorce so much. It's because the institution of marriage and the family, they are interwoven. And a good marriage is supposed to provide an environment of safety and love for a good family. But when the covenant of marriage is broken, the institution of family starts to fall apart. When marriage is neglected, the family almost always suffers. When a couple starts neglecting their marriage, you know, they just start having disagreements and they're like, you know, you know, you know what? I don't want to deal with you anymore. You know, you're just like a little child. I don't know why I married you, you know, and you start having that attitude and then you and then you have kids and you're like, all right, let me put all my love and attention to the kids. Couples who neglect their marriage and focus all their love on their kids. No matter how good you are to those kids, those kids are going to still suffer. Because it's all interwoven. And so you may see this. You may see this. You know, and I hate to uh, cite this as an example, but, you know, I, I, I saw a news report about what happened to the young man who actually was responsible for the Newtown shootings last week. And the shocking thing that I found out was not only was his parents divorced, but I thought his father had passed away or or abandoned him or something like that. No, they were living in a super nice house, him and his mom. And his father is like a corporate executive at GE or something like that, one of those big companies. And he was sending hundreds of thousands of dollars in child support every single year. So this guy, he got, he got, his kid had all the money in the world. But his life, his internal life was still a complete mess. You know? When you neglect the institution of marriage, the institution of the family always suffers because they're both interwoven. So if you want to you wanna have a strong family in the future... All you have to do is aim to have a strong marriage. You see, if you're a man here and you think, "Oh, adultery," you know, it's just a, you know, it's just a sexual sin that, you know, if nobody finds out about it, nobody gets hurt. But you're wrong, because whether a woman can discern you're cheating on her or not, when you start committing adultery you start having sexual relations with other women, whether they're prostitutes or whether they're other mistresses, a woman is able to somehow sense a break in the intimacy, a betrayal of the covenant. They can sense it. And they will in themselves begin to respond with distance. And then you start to justify, well, look at her. She don't love me anymore, so I should keep on having my affairs. But the only one that's really God's going to hold responsible there is just you because you're the one who's responsible for the break in intimacy and you're the one who is perpetuating the destruction of that marriage you might think it doesn't harm anyone if no one finds out about it but I'm here to tell you there is someone who's found out about it and that is God and he's designed marriage in such a way that you always want to keep the marriage bed pure you want to have a good strong marriage you stay away From the bed of the mistress. You stay away. From the brothels. And the prostitutes. You want to have a strong family. Have a strong marriage. You want to have a strong marriage. Stay faithful. To your spouse. All the days of your life. So my first point is real simple. Your immediate family. Is very Important. Your immediate family is very important and your immediate family is established by covenant. And whenever that covenant is broken, the family is also going to suffer. My second point. My second point. The Bible teaches, secondly, that for every person who puts their faith in Christ, that they are justified before God. And the word justified simply means that through the cross of Christ, we have right standing. We're forgiven of all our sins, and we have right standing before God. That's what justify means. For every person who puts their faith in Christ, they are justified and then adopted as members of God's family. So the order goes like this. If you really want to kind of be technical with theology, and some of you may not be interested in that, in that right now, but the order will go like this. There's regeneration. So that's the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart. Regeneration. Some of you in here, you're not even Christians yet. But the fact of the matter is the Holy Spirit's already moving in your heart. The grace of God has already been applied to your heart. That's why you even came today. You're like, what am I doing in church today? Who is this guy up here? I don't know how I found myself here, but this guy's kind of funny. I'm going to keep on listening. Let me see what he's got to say. The reason why you're here may be, very well be because the Holy Spirit is already working regeneration in your heart. He's giving you a new heart. A heart that desires God. Yeah. Where in the past, you were cold. You were numb. But now, you're just like, you know, you want to turn the TV channel. You want to stop going to those places. You want to stop drinking until you're completely drunk. You have some kind of aversion that wasn't there before. That's because the Holy Spirit is doing regeneration. It's always regeneration... And at some point, somebody makes some kind of commitment or decision to follow Christ. So then regeneration. And then after you make your decision for Christ, there's justification. So right after you put your faith in Christ and say, I want to be a Jesus follower, God says, you are justified. You are, you have right standing with me. Your sins are not counted against you. And then third, you're adopted. Now, it's important to make this distinction because God could have Given us regeneration and justification, and he could have stopped right there. He didn't have to give you adoption. He could have said, I'm going to give you a new heart so that you can relate to me. I'm going to count your sins not against you. And then he could have just stopped right there. But God doesn't. The Bible says that we, John 1, 12, Yet to all who receive Christ, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You have the right to become his child when you receive Christ. When you receive Christ, you have the right to become his child. Isn't that awesome? You are adopted into God's family as a member of his universal worldwide global family. Galatians 3.26 Another person, another place in the Bible says you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. When you put your faith in Christ Jesus, you are no longer a stranger who has just been forgiven and regenerated. You are also now a son adopted into God's family. And there are some incredible privileges of adoption. Let me just point some of these out. One is we have relationship to God, not only as our creator, but through adoption, now we can relate to God as our father. That's an incredible privilege that comes with adoption. Jesus even talked about in Matthew 7, 11, He said, if y'all being wicked know how to give good gifts, if you as a human father Imperfect human father, you know how to be good to your kids. How much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask? Because you're a child of God, when you come before God, you don't have to beg. You know, the one word that you should never really have to use before a loving father, unless you're trying to manipulate him, right, is the word please. A lot of Christians who don't understand God as their father every other sentence in their prayer has the word please in it. Lord, please help me with my final exams. Lord, please help me to get married. Lord, please. And it's this begging, kind of widow-like attitude. But the Bible says, no, that's not you. You are adopted as a child of the Most High God. Also, Another privilege of adoption is we are led by the Holy Spirit. The, the God who has adopted us into his family, he gives us his very spirit. So that now we don't have to ask ourselves, am I a child of God? Am I a child of God? You don't have to waver in doubt. God gives you the assurance through his spirit. And if you would learn how to pray and just be quiet before God, you would hear the Holy Spirit saying, Yeah. Our Father. He is your Father. Go ahead, whisper it. Abba, Father. Abba, Father. You know? You're not going crazy. You're not making things up. That's the Holy Spirit bearing witness with your spirit that you are indeed a child of God. That's a supernatural work. Another privilege of adoption is being disciplined by God. Some people don't think this is a privilege. But when you act a fool, when you start going down the path of foolishness, the most loving thing that a, that a good father can do is to give you a little meh-meh. you know to give you a little discipline to give you a little you know a little pat pat powwow I think white people call it powwow I was like what is a powwow they were like powwow let me show you a powwow no 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 show me that you know but Koreans we call it man memme. man I used to hate hearing that, those words my mom said memme. I was Ahh! Jesus, where are you? <laughs> Man, that was a scary thing to fall into the hands of an angry cream Ajuma. But God, he disciplines us. And in the beginning, it might be a little light discipline. But you still, you still keep going back to those foolish ways. And God will give you stronger discipline to be like, stop going down that path. It will lead to destruction. Narrow is the path that leads to life. Stop going with the popular crowd. Stop going along with the patterns of this world. Choose the path of life. It's meant to feel narrow. And few choose it. And you're my child. You got to learn how to choose life. The universal church family, I want all of us to understand this is, it includes... Not only people here at New Philly, not only people in the the city of Seoul who are Christians, but the universal church family that a, a Christian becomes a member of is part of a larger family that includes Moses, Abraham, all the Old Testament saints, all of the New Testament saints, and all of the Christians that ever lived in church history. We're all one big family. The Bible says we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Up in heaven, the apostle Paul is not looking down on you and saying, oh, look at that Korean American. Man, I don't know what they're going through. I don't have nothing to do with them. I'm a Jew. I'm a Jewish Christian. He's a Korean American. uh, I don't know what. No, apostle Paul's like, come on, Korean American. Finish the race. We're one family. Black, white, Jew. We're all one family. In the family of God, that's the way it is. Amen. And when we get up there, I don't know what language we're going to speak. You ever think about that? You know, when the new heavens and the new earth comes, what language are we going to speak? I'm fully convinced that it's English. Now, I know that sounds rad, mad, American-centric. That's very, that's very arrogant, man. That sounded very arrogant. What's wrong with you? That sounds very arrogant. But... Anyway, that's just my guess, okay? This is my, my guess. But anyway, I don't know what language you want to speak, but we're all going to communicate with each other no matter what cultural or ethnic background we have because when it comes down to it, we're one big family. The universal church family. is not just the Christians that are living here today. It's the Christians. It is. Now, you might think, well, Old Testament people, how, believers, how are they to be called Christians? They didn't know Christ. But you have to understand That where we never physically met Christ either, we look back into history, to the cross of Jesus Christ. But what people in the Old Testament did was they simply look forward to the Messiah, to the Christ. And therefore, we are all justified through the same cross of Jesus Christ. And we are all members of one family, the universal church family. And this universal church family is also established by covenant. This is the covenant that Jesus said is established by my blood. At At the last supper on Passover night before Jesus was crucified, Jesus said, this is the new covenant established by my blood. Drink it in remembrance of me. The blood of Jesus Christ was spilled so that we, you and I, can be adopted into God's universal family. And it's a family that will last for all eternity. It's an everlasting family. And also, the universal church does, believe, uh, does include believers here today in the city. And if you think about that, because we are a part of one big family, we got to be careful how we relate to the rest of the body of Christ. And for people who are not Christians yet, this is something for you to think about. When One of the things that turns off non-believers from believing in Christianity is how Christians treat other Christians. Or how Christians, they be all acting all crazy and stuff. Now, I know that in the body of Christ, not everybody agrees. But we have to be discerning about how we go about having unity. We've got to learn how to value unity in the body of Christ. So, yeah, maybe we might disagree, but you don't have to bring that agenda every time you relate to that other person. That other person goes to another church. Well, that church doesn't do things our way. All right. But that does not mean that you are not members of the same family. That's still your brother and sister. and That's why competition in the church makes no sense. You know, I can't wait until we're bigger than that other church, and I can't wait until that other church finds out what we're all about. and you know, all that competition it don't make no sense. You know all the men, when you go to a church basketball competition, settle down. <laughs> well what what you know and remember, remember back man, I don't know about I don't know about the rest of the country, but and in, in America, at least in the New York area. You have a volleyball competition, you have a basketball competition, church youth groups will always bring like a couple of people that don't even go to that church. They don't they don't even believe in Jesus. And you can tell when they start to play that they don't believe in Jesus. And then and then since what what are they called often? Ringers. They're called ringers. You know, they jack up the competition because Church, you know, the young kids, they think the v- basketball competition is all about winning and being the better church. But that do not make no sense. The whole point the pastors even did the basketball competition was for the sake of unity <laughs> to bring people together and have some friendly competition. Why are you injuring each other and cursing each other out? All right. Well, in a similar way, when we do ministry, that competitive spirit has no place either. You know, I like how Rick Warren said it once. He said that competition with other church ministries, when you appear before Christ, God's not going to judge you for be- having a more fruitful ministry than some other church. He's going to judge you based on how much fruit you bore out of all the resources he gave you. Yeah. So if he gave you more resources than another church down the street. He expects you to have more fruit than that other church down the street. Not for you to feel proud of being bigger than that other church down the street. You just need to measure yourself with a sober judgment of what resources he gave you. That's what faithfulness is all about. And as members of the universal church of God, the Bible tells us in Ephesians 5.1, be imitators of God as beloved children. Be imitators of God as beloved children. As members of God's universal family, universal church family, we are to imitate God. Be holy as God is holy. Be good and loving to all as God is good and loving to all. Now that brings me to my third point. Number one, your immediate family is important. Your universal church family is important. And number three, your local church family is important. Now, some people might want to stop at the universal church family part. That's incomplete. You see, your experience of God and his love is going to manifest, is going to be made most real in a local church. Because the universal church is largely invisible. Because you don't have some kind of 3D glasses that allows you to look into people's hearts. Oh, that person's a Christian. Oh, that person's not. That person's a Christian. No, no one's got those glasses. And therefore, the, the universal church is largely invisible. Right? I mean, we can try to discern, but we have no fail-proof system to do that. So the local church then becomes a visible reality, a visible manifestation, a visible manifestation of the universal church. Therefore, your local church family is just as important. Let me talk about this for, for a little bit. When Paul wrote to all of the churches in his letters, he often addressed them as brethren, brothers. And that word brothers is not just talking about only the male believers at that church. That, that word can also be translated brothers and sisters. It was all inclusive. because There were a lot of female believers in the early church. And when Paul addressed these churches, these local churches, he would address all of them as brethren. Why did he do that? Because he saw that each local church is like a little immediate family there. And there are certain dynamics of that immediate family that people benefit from. Uh, in another place, in First Timothy chapter 5, Apostle Paul said, Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. In other words, when you go to a local church, see them as your mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters. Treat them as you would your immediate family. Treat them with honor and love and respect because this local church, this is also an important aspect of family. And the cool thing about a local church is, in the universal church, the Bible exhorts us, imitate God, be imitators of God. But in a local church setting, you imitate God by also imitating your spiritual leaders. So the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 4.16, therefore, I urge you, imitate me, imitate me, imitate my way of life, imitate my prayer life. Imitate my prayer life. He <laughs> said, imitate me. Why? Because the Apostle Paul saw himself as like a spiritual father to many of these churches. When you imitate your spiritual father, you're able to really grow into a maturity that maybe you don't yourself possess. Now, the local family, local church family is also established by covenant. Now, we're not talking about the covenant of the new, new covenant. We're talking about maybe an extension of that covenant in a local church institution. Once again, the universal church is, in one sense, an institution, and the local church is a really visible manifestation of that institution. So just as family is a, an immediate family is an institution, the local church is also an institution that's very important to God. And I want you to just uh, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. And I'm going to close with this. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians is a a book in the New Testament. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. God eats potato chips. It's an easy way to remember that. (laughs) Thank you. You're welcome. All right. Uh, Ephesians chapter five, verse 25 says here, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her here. The apostle Paul's talking about the immediate family that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself. What, what, What? I thought we were talking about wives here. Uh-oh, Apostle Paul made a switcheroo here. Okay, so he's talking about both the immediate family and he's connecting it to the wider church family. Okay? So that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. And look at verse 30. Because we are members of his body, or of his family, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Does that sound familiar? That's the Genesis two twenty-four verse that we read at the very beginning. But the Apostle Paul is now quoting this, Not to talk about the immediate family like Jesus did in Matthew 19, but he's now using it to talk about the church. Verse 32, he makes it clear. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. God, the institution of family, whether it's your immediate family, the universal church family. Or the local church family. My message simply is this. That institution. Was set up by God. It was his idea. It was his. It is his design. And it is established. Through covenant. And for all who will honor this covenant. They will enjoy the safety. And the love. And the blessings of that covenant. So. I'm going to close my sermon right here. It's Friendship Sunday. And usually, no, no, usually I'm aiming to preach for about 45 minutes. So I went over a little bit today. I apologize to all newcomers. I usually aim for that. I will not tell you what I usually land at. anyway, now today I'm going to close up here. I don't know if you're trying to think about recommitting... To church, recommitting to Christ, or if you've never even had a church background and you're considering what does it mean to be a Christian? What I want to give you the message today is: learn to value family, because when you are a part of a family, that's when you experience the love of God most powerfully. If you have a strong, immediate family. You've already been experiencing the love of God. If you're part of a, if you've been have, able to have good, strong relationships with other Christians in the universal body of Christ, universal family of God, you've already been experiencing God's love in a powerful way. And if you've been part of a good local church community, that's the best way for you to experience God's love and His power. But when those things are not there, that's when we need the healing touch of God. That's when we need God to undo all of the damage that's been done to us. Let's all close our eyes and bow our heads. Before we close with this last song of praise. I want to encourage you, if you're sitting here today, you haven't been to church in a long time, or you never really grew up in a church, and you're just trying to discover what church is all about. To both groups, I want to say welcome. And to both groups, I want to encourage you, don't try to search for Christianity in a one-dimensional way. Christianity, when it comes down to it, is not largely an intellectual search. Instead, it is a search to find out where you belong. Sometimes we need our intellectual hang-ups to be removed. And I believe there are wonderful resources in the body of Christ to help remove some of those intellectual blocks. But even after your intellectual blocks have been removed, not everybody comes and, and puts their faith in Christ. Or renews their commitment to Christ. Those things take place when a person finds out I'm a member of God's family. When they realize what it means to be a member of God's family, that's when they start to really experience the love of God in a full way. Many people here at New Philly, they've already been experiencing that. And the reason why you were invited here today is because we want to invite you into that experience. We want to invite you into the abundant life that you can Experience in God's love and through God's people. Yeah, I want to ask everyone to stand to our feet. We'll sing this song.